Before we begin, I want to briefly address the ongoing situation with Myers Leonard. There's absolutely no place for this type of hateful speech anywhere, and I've been really proud of how the league and the Miami Heat have been leaders in fighting these types of injustices, particularly within the last year. I have the utmost confidence that this situation will be handled the right way and that resolutions will ultimately be found. Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Longshot Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, here with my good friend, Davis Reed. We are back once again in our makeshift studio. Yes, we are. And of course, we are brought to you by 342 Productions. But we got a uh, we got a fun one for you today. We got a nice little change of pace. Obviously, we've been kind of developing a little bit of a, a rhythm with the guests. But this time, we got a little off-speed curveball change up coming your way yeah we wanted to mix it up a little bit we're also uh you know while i was down in miami we thought it was a good opportunity to hit a mailbag episode that and also i will say all-star break contributed to our lack of ambition to ultimately find a guest we kind of got into the the waning hours of the week and we just decided you know what let's touch base with our our listeners I was going to frame this as more of like a, no, we were planning to do this, but now that the you know cat's out of the bag, yeah, maybe it was that we couldn't get a guest. Yeah, well, you know, spontaneity uh, is is fantastic and, in my opinion, severely underrated. So I, I think that this will be fun. Um, I think that it's a way to continue to engage with all of you guys, the listeners, the viewers, if you're on YouTube. Um, but no, I, I, we got some great feedback, some great responses across a variety of platforms, I believe. Yeah. We reached out on on Reddit, of course, also on Twitter, and I think that's where the train stopped. Just those two? Yeah, so really just two just platforms. Two. But we also got some emails. Yep. Uh, people reached out via email. People also would like DM on Instagram or Twitter. So sure. yeah, they were coming from a different, Good. a few different angles. Um, yeah, so... Because of the mailbag, we, we, we picked a bunch of, of questions, so we're actually just going to kind of skip right into it. Um, you know, I, one of my favorite segments is the long shot feature, Yeah. but uh, unfortunately, that's going to have to wait until next week, but I, I do hear we have a great one on tap for next week. Yeah, and how about the Reddit question of the week? Man, yeah, it we, hurts me that we're, we're just going to pass by those, um, but we'll keep both of them you know, firmly tucked in the back pocket there. Yeah. Uh, before we do get to the mailbag, I want to quickly ask you because i i wasn't around for this this past weekend but i hear that someone stopped you outside of the apartment and asked if you were quote the guy with the podcast that is true i i will say i've started to get notoriety just off the podcast alone uh which i i actually prefer to my to my basketball abilities um i i don't get noticed all that often in miami just in general because i'm relatively low-key uh, usually wearing a hat and also people just don't really seem to care that much, which, which I'm very much okay with, but people seem to care about the podcast. I just think that's so special. It is. And I think actually you at one point got acknowledged. We were, we were taking a, a nice walk, uh, with some friends and somebody goes, is that Davis Reed? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> just out of nowhere. No, that's not at all what happened. I think they must've seen your mixtape. No, no, your no, highlight no. Tape. no, 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 no. Uh, what did happen though is for the first time in my career, yeah, someone stopped me and said, "Hey, big fan of the podcast." So is is that why you ultimately asked me that question? So this Maybe. could, you know, Maybe. in turn get reflected back onto you, and you could just really indulge in your your moment of recognition. Maybe I don't hate you for it. Uh, all right, let's just let's just dive right into this mailbag. Uh, the format is kind of easy. We're just kind of making it work. This is obviously our first one, but uh, Davis is just going to rattle off some questions and we're just going to kind of kick it around a little bit. Yeah. The first one uh, comes from, this was on Twitter, Fernando91838. Fernando clearly hasn't listened to any of our episodes yet because uh, he asks, did you always aspire to be an NBA player? But I did think this was an interesting one to ask you just because we were... So I've been in I've been in uh, Miami here with you over All Star Break, yep. and we went up and saw your grandparents last weekend. And had a great dinner with them, yep. and you were telling them a story that I had never heard. They're actually. vaccinated, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. They're vaccinated. We kept a nice, uh, you know, social distance. Yeah, and of course, 
we're both getting tested every day. Right. Um, but I just wanted to reiterate that we are being safe out Correct. here. Correct. 100%. Uh, but, but you told them a story, or the three of you were kind of rehashing a story that I had never heard about uh, the time you asked your mother through a handwritten letter if you could focus all of your energy on basketball. So I thought I wanted to. He- I wanted you to share that story because I-, I think it's a funny one. And even though you've been open about how you weren't aspiring to be an NBA player at all points, you clearly had your vision set on being a hooper in some regard. Well, I'll start by saying you really took Fernando's question and really shaped it into your own. Uh, but with that being said, um, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think that. I always had the, the goal and dream of being an NBA player. Truthfully, those goalposts were so far down the line that for the vast majority of my career, I never really thought it was a could be a reality. As I continued to progress and kind of move forward, I started to gain more confidence that maybe it could happen. But the, the instance that you're referring to was I had just finished my junior year of high school a year in which I hardly played, didn't really play that much. Uh, I was posting coaches DMPs for pretty much the first half of the year. Started to kind of work my way into the rotation a little bit uh, the second half of the year. We were very average. It's not like I was on a really good high school team. Uh, certainly was was no uh, Olathe Northwest Ravens, I believe. Nice. Um, but yeah, we were pretty average and I didn't play that much. So logically as a junior, if you're not playing on a pretty average team, you're probably thinking, well, this guy's not going to play in college. But I really wanted to. And originally my my main goal for basketball was to use it as a vehicle to get into a college that with just my academics, I wouldn't be able to get into. I wanted to go to a really good uh, you know, prestigious academic school and set myself up for the future. So after not really playing a lot as a junior, I was on track to have a summer job the uh, that summer. And the previous summer, I'd worked as a, uh, a line chef at Rye General Store, a nice little <laughs> store out there on the beach. Shout out to Rye. Uh, I actually, that summer I started, my sophomore summer, I started as a dishwasher and worked my way up to a line chef. Uh, a, a lot of it was accredited to just my, you know, my habits as a dishwasher, showing up on time, really just being diligent in my, my craft. Took a lot of pride in that. Forget the D3 to D1 to NBA long shot story. How yeah. about that? Yeah, I will say I'd be interested to see where, you know, my counterparts, what their summer jobs were growing up. I, I don't think we had too many dishwashers. I'm sure a <laughs> lot of guys were, you know, on the AAU circuit as like an eighth grader. Uh, and I was washing dishes. So uh, my mom had me slated to go back to Rye General Store, maybe of hopes moving up from a line cook to maybe a, a full-time little cook. You know, they did like breakfast sandwiches and anything and everything. So it's not like it was some, you know, fancy spot. But uh I remember telling my mom and pleading to my mom that this summer I really just wanted to work on basketball and that I wanted to set myself up to have a really good senior year. And I had to convince her that in order to have a good senior year, I needed to fully dedicate myself to basketball and being in the gym and living in the gym. And I wasn't going to be able to do that if I had to wake up at 6 a.m., to be there for the breakfast rush at Rye General Store. Um, Instead, I needed to wake up at 6 a.m. to get some shots up and get a lift in and get some conditioning in. So I put pen to paper, uh, like like so many before me have done. Uh, (laughs) Great historians uh, put pen to paper. And I, I just wrote her a letter and I said, I just made my case. I said, look, this is an investment. I'm, I'm, I'm potentially at this point. I thought there was maybe a chance that I could be a scholarship player, uh, which I wasn't the following year. But I said this is an investment, and that if I put time into my basketball, I will save money on college by getting a scholarship. And it was a pretty convincing letter. I was able to kind of finagle it because she still wanted me to to work and, and have some sort of income into I just worked like a bunch of basketball camps so I could still be in the gym. But uh, yeah, it, it, it ultimately ended up working out and she obliged and I, I handed in my my apron uh, for, you know, just just some more hours in the gym. Wow. So a couple of thoughts. First of all, shout out to your mother for letting you uh, chase the dream. I know you're listening, but you're the best. <laughs> There's no way you're not listening. Yeah, of course. Uh, but secondly... Did you so? Did you notice jumps that summer? Yeah, I mean, I, I came back a totally, completely different player. 
Uh, and, and it wasn't just that, of course, I needed to, to be there and be putting in the work, but I also, that was the summer where I started to figure some things out physically. I started to grow, kind of grow into my body. And I also surrounded myself with people that had similar aspirations of playing in college. And uh, I, I think that when you surround yourself with people that are on the same path as you, your uh, results are, are just amplified. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, okay. So great, great answer. Staying in that lane then. So think back to that age. Who were the guys? This is a question that came from Avar, Alvaro versus the world on Twitter. Love it. Uh, who asked who our favorite players were growing up. So when you think to that time period, or maybe earlier, yeah. are there guys that you were specifically looking to at that age where you were like, maybe maybe not necessarily to emulate your game, but just guys that you were like, okay, these are the guys. Well, yeah. So, you know, when you're younger, you're just kind of a fan of the game and, and you just like players uh, just because they're, they're really good or this or that. But as you kind of get older and for at least for me, I started to really like players that I kind of saw similarities in. So when I was younger, Paul Pierce was always my my favorite player. I say that somewhat reluctantly, knowing that uh, you know I play for the Miami Heat <laughs> right, and I right. understand fully the 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 rivalry, I guess, for lack of a better word, that exists between particularly Paul and and a former teammate of mine, D Wade. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up a, a Celtics fan in the Northeast. Obviously, not a Celtics fan anymore. Um, but I, I I did I was a Paul Pierce fan, and uh, I really liked Ray Allen just because. You know, I, I would try to kind of pl- try to play like him and uh, other guys, of course, uh, JJ Redick, which is why this whole podcast thing has been kind of surreal to me because now we're he's kind of my boss in some weird way, but we're also <laughs> like friends and uh, he's he's in many way in many times and in instances offered me advice and um, feedback and and it's just always kind of crazy to see like a text from him pop up on my phone just because I grew up watching him um, trying to emulate his game and, and do what he does. What about you? Who are, who are your? For me, AI. I could see that. You guys have similar games. Very similar games. I, I wore the number three growing up. I actually, I would take my baseball socks and I would cut off from the ankle below, wear it as an arm sleeve. sleeve. Better believe it. Wow. Uh, I convinced my mom to buy me a finger sleeve oh, dear. one Christmas. Did we go headband? I think there was a phase where I was wearing a headband too. Wow. So imagine it's just you were just all in. Uh, I was all in, all in. So AI for me, Steve Nash too. Did you feel that uh, having you know the sleeve, the finger band, the headband, did that help your game at all? One thousand percent. Really? Okay. So much of the game is mental, and if you're wearing a baseball sock arm sleeve, yeah, you tell me you don't feel like a hooper. Yeah, that'll do it. So if nothing else, it's just the mental side of that'll the game. That'll do it. Yeah. Um, all right. How about let's go to not Ethi, not Ethi. Sorry one. if I'm mispronouncing that. But they ask, what is the main thing in developing a good jump shot? So I, I get this question a lot in a variety of, of forms. Um, people are, are definitely always asking me, how do you become a good shooter? What's it take? What you know? What how many shots a day do you? Do you get up or, and, and that question, it's, it's changed over time. I think the, the, the biggest things when it comes to developing consistency with a jump shot is finding efficient form, first and foremost, something that's comfortable to you, something that is clean and that it, it lacks variables. Because for me, shooting is all about being able to do the same thing every single time. You hear great shooters talk like Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Steph Curry. They talk about the goal is to have to emulate the exact same jump shot every single time. So in my eyes, how you do that is you you try to limit it to as few variables as possible. So when you break it down, that means taking out a hitch or taking out your your guide hand being you know touching or pushing the ball. You want it to be as clean as possible. So you want to find something that's efficient and comfortable. The second biggest and, and the biggest thing is just repetitions in that there's absolutely, there's no substitute for reps. Uh, you know, you have to find something, like I said, that's comfortable, but then you have to rep it out to the point where it just becomes the most extreme form of muscle memory to where you can just call on it at any point and your body knows exactly what you're doing. Uh, I, I think that 
a lot of people get caught up in kind of other things, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but it, it really just boils down to find something that's comfortable to you and just rep it all the way up. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you, Has your form, because we actually, I saw a couple of these questions. Has your form then changed a lot since being in the NBA? Because I, I agree, and you know better than, than I do, obviously, but just repping it out, that makes sense, getting something that you're comfortable with. But then for you, when you get to the point where you're now doing this professionally, you can. I assume you can start to make finer tweaks at that point. Yeah, my, I, I'm always making little tweaks and adjustments. Um, you know, I think that that's part of kind of like who I am as a per, as a person. I just always feel like I there's something kind of that could be better. Um, Are you doing that outside of basketball too? Or? I try. Yeah, okay. I, I do my best. Right. Um, but yeah, in in terms of has it changed? Yes, because it's been required to. Uh, you know, particularly like when I moved from high school to college or college to the NBA and I go back and I look at, you know, video of me shooting in high school, it looks different. And I realized that that's because the level required me to make adjustments. And it's, it's not as much of like a conscious change. I think that, you know, the breakdown and, and rebuilding of a jump shot, I think can work. I think there's examples of it working, but for me, it's more so just been little tweaks and adjustments. And over time, when you do that repeatedly, you see the product shift, but it's, but it's over, that's over years. Um, I think anytime that you try to break something all the way down and then rebuild it back up, that's going to be really, really challenging. Um, so when I've made adjustments, it hasn't been this like conscious change of, Oh, you know, I have to move my elbow a little bit more this way or that way. And it's been more so about, I need to find a way to to get this shot off faster because otherwise I'm not going to be able to to get it off at this level. And is that stuff happening throughout the course of a season? Like it, it's, it seems crazy to me that you would be, you know, playing one night and then two days later, it's like all of a sudden you're trying something different. I assume that stuff happens in the off season or is it a constant thing? It's, it's pretty constant. Um, it's, it's more so that everybody has, this is another really important part of shooting is everybody has little isms that they pick up, whether it be, you know, for me, I'll just speak to myself and try not to project on other people. When I don't feel like I'm I'm shooting well, it's that the ball is getting a little disconnected from my body. Um, and my actually my left elbow and not my right elbow. A lot of people think your, your shooting elbow is the important one. For me, it's actually my left elbow um, needs to stay in and tight. And what that does for me is it takes my guide hand pressure off the ball. So once again, if if my guide hand, if my left elbow is out and my guide hand is putting pressure on the ball, that's pushing the ball. That's a variable that's pushing the ball a certain way. Whereas if I keep my left elbow tucked, then my my shooting hand, my shooting arm is just doing all the work and it's mitigating variables. Uh, so for me, what I'll notice is l- these little isms that I start picking up. And it's just, a, it's just a reminder. It's like fine tuning. You know, it's like taking daily vitamins. It's however you want to say it. It's just regrooving. Uh, that's another that's another term that I use. It's like grooving a golf swing, right? It's the same thing with shooting. You just might need little reminders on an off day or, or what have you to just regroove your jump shot. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I want to get to some on the court stuff. Bernie Nation asks, you and Bam have the most efficient two-man game in the league last season. Points per possession. Okay. Okay. Did that come naturally? Or did you and Bam have to specifically drill it, do anything special off the court to kind of form that bond that you guys have? Because you're doing it a lot this season too. In fact, you're doing a lot this season and some different actions off of that stuff. But yeah, how did that how did that come about? So it originally really started in that Wayne Ellington and, and Bam had a had a great connection and rapport and, and they would get to these dribble handoffs and that season that Wayne I, I think he set the the franchise record um for the Miami Heat. Yep. Bam, him and Bam really, you know, I think Bam was in the second unit with Wayne and, and they had this connection that was really hard to, for teams to guard and prepare for. So my first year was uh, Wayne was here and a lot of time I spent a lot of time watching him film and then also working with him. So naturally, I kind of tried to assume a lot of those types of same actions it's really just started out in that Bam is like so dynamic and capable as a playmaker and is just comfortable with the ball in his hands. And he's 
an incredible screen setter. Uh, and he's somebody that can handle the ball and have the ball out by the perimeter as a center. So that's that alone is really dynamic. So he's the one that really allows it to happen. And then so much of it is just me playing off of him. Um, and then from there, you know, when you have success with something, obviously in this league, people, teams and, and so forth are going to start to prepare for it and make adjustments. And that's what I saw a lot during the playoffs. Teams trying to take that stuff away, be more physical with me. And basically what I've seen this year is just a continuation of the playoffs, that type of defense, that type of focus every single night in that teams are game planning to take me away for sure. But, but also a lot of it is taking away Bam's ability to distribute because that's when we're really good is when Bam is, you know, hunting triple doubles and, and is up there and uh, generating a lot of offense for us. So as a result, because teams have taken things away, you have to adapt and adjust. And, and that's when we've tried to get more and more creative um, and, and just find other ways to still be effective. So what are the, some of those things? It, one of these, I actually had this question queued up from Riru44. They ask, how do you and the coaching staff plan when you know defenses are going to try to take you away? Like you said, uh, especially you guys, you, you uh, all those handoff actions. seems like you guys are doing more backdoor stuff this year. Is there other stuff that's been uh, highlighted for you in, ter- in terms of counters that you can run off some of those coverages? Yeah, I don't want to give too much away right. <laughs> uh so I'll, I'll touch on it briefly but just yeah just concepts yeah that, i yeah. mean so one way to do it is to incorporate more just catch and shoot actions um coming off of pin downs wide pin downs uh another way is like you said to kind of free you up from the defense is to keep them more honest by, by getting back cuts getting stuff at the rim and having them have to respect that aspect of your game more other ones are starting to do a little bit more in, in pick and roll um, in just that then teams aren't able to like get really physical and, and knock down those handoffs. And then the other one is just try to find more stuff in transition when, when the defense isn't set and isn't able to you know fully get in position to take those, some of those things away. Makes sense. Yeah. I won't press you on that. Yeah, so we can, can just leave it at that. Keep coming here. Some yeah. of your secrets. Yeah. Um, let's see. James Moves Beef beef in all capital letters James asks for both of us if you could add one NBA player's go-to move to your game past or present who would it be and why I'm gonna let you take that one first I think I would go Dirk Mm. one leg fade away I remember that would be dynamic in, in men's leagues games oh exactly right yeah right you see I don't have the height to really take advantage of it but in a men's league, you would. Exactly. I mean, you're 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, Tall enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, I just, I have flashbacks to like growing up and in high school trying to emulate that shot and it's really hard. Yeah. So if I could add that to my game, I think it would take it to to another level. I, I need to create space. I'm not athletic enough to do that anymore. I'm going to go uh, in the same category of wanting to create space, but in a very different way. I'm going to shout out a former Heat legend, Tim Hardaway Sr., uh, with the patented Tim Hardaway cross. Yep. I think that if I had that in my arsenal, then I would be a handful to guard. I agree. I agree you would. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's go. Actually, you know what? Staying in the basketball lane, this was one of my favorite questions. Uh, 2v2, JJ and Tommy versus you and me. Oh. What do you think? Like who, first of all, I assume you're taking us. Oh yeah. I'm I'm taking us. A hundred percent. I almost feel badly that they're not here to like defend themselves, but uh, I just don't see a world in which we don't win that. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I will say that they're like, I can see some like them both being like, kind of like wily vets. True. You know, some like some with all due respect, this isn't a jab. But like kind of some old man game getting incorporated into that. Old man in the three. Yeah, like some some vet tricks, uh, just like little stuff. Maybe some, uh, you know, JJ's been known to kind of get it going just verbally a little bit. Uh, Try to to get some real estate in in both of our heads. I think I could stand up to that. I don't know if you can handle that. Who knows if I'm built for that. I think if JJ Redick is sounding off at you saying that you're going to miss an open three, I I don't know. I, I don't know if... I don't know if you have that in you. So truthfully. what you're you're saying the matchup comes down to if I can. Yeah. yeah if you can if rise to the form. occasion, I think we're good. Okay. I agree. And you know what? I'm betting on myself every time. I think I'm going to rise to the Bet occasion. Bet on yourself and double down. Yeah. 
So, you know, at JJ, Tommy, but just so you know, we're taking ourselves. Um, all right, let's go to, this is from, uh, this is from nice ass lawn. Nice ass lawn. Congratulations. First of all, for having a nice lawn. Yeah. Um, they ask, this is a question I've always wondered. How much does a late contest affect shooters? Watching you guys in slow motion, it's almost like you don't even register that the defender is in front of you sometimes, even when their hand is so close to yours. We're really, we're really getting into the nitty gritty of shooting. Yeah, I like that. There's a lot of that stuff. Once again, I don't want to disclose too much to give my potential opposition uh, <laughs> an advantage, but I, I will say this. I've kind of gotten to the point where there's only certain types of contests that really bother me. Um, you know, th this is kind of more public knowledge, but like, for example, I'll, I'll use another player as an example. James Harden, he, he just doesn't, he's not going to see an ordinary contest. So what you'll see is a lot of teams resort to is kind of the, the violent swipe in that it's, in hopes that it kind of like throws you off a little bit. Yeah. Um, when I'm coming to my right, moving to my right, and the defender is on my hip or behind me, trailing me, whatever, truthfully, I very rarely, it's it's not really about the defender at that point. I, I kind of, I don't even really notice or see them. Yeah. Um, there are instances, you know, if a player has like really great length or something like that, then maybe they could disrupt it a little bit. But generally, and that's not that I'm like some anomaly. I think this is general NBA players are pretty comfortable. I mean, we everyone sees contests and are just basically used to them at this point. There's only a handful of contests that can really impact shooting. Now, numbers would suggest, you know, I know a lot of teams, this is just just because this is stuff that we talk about, that, you know, so-and-so shoots 50% with no contest, but all you got to do is get a contest and he drops down to 37. That's, that's probably true um so numbers would maybe suggest otherwise but as a player my experience has been that there's only a handful of contests that really actually bother you um but yeah that's interesting is it i mean you're six eight so you have a little bit of a different advantage too if a shorter guy is on you yeah i mean if, if you have vision to the rim and for me it's more about how I'm getting to the shot. Like if I'm comfortable in, in getting to it and, and that isn't disrupted, then I usually feel pretty good. And particularly a late contest is is not really going to do much. Uh, one that a lot of people resort to, especially if I'm you know coming off a handoff or something, is the kind of rear view. Uh, they'll they'll kind of come behind me and try to get over the top. That one can be a little bit more bothersome because you just don't know where he is right. whereas if if he's, they're trailing you you're like able to spatially recognize okay he's on my hip like he can't get to this no matter what yeah that's interesting and they did the celtics did a lot of that yeah in the playoffs right yeah and then for me the a, a goal is to just kind of tune out the defender like they're not there obviously and then good defenders are going to be pesky and and even if you try to tune them out you're not gonna be able to Okay, from Harmon, 3112, mm. they ask, if you could change one thing you did in your career, what would it be? Mm. Which I thought was a very interesting question. This is a, an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I try not to live with regrets. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that's very cliche to say. Uh, of course, though, naturally, everybody has things that, they, they maybe wish they had handled differently. I think that for me, I wouldn't go back and change anything because I, I'm pretty content with how the story kind of played out. But if I could go back, it would be, I had just finished my sophomore year playing at Michigan. Um, I'd sat out a year, I played my sophomore year. You could make a strong argument that that was my best year at Michigan statistically. I think yep. I averaged 11 points a game. I shot like 45% from three. We were just okay. We we scratched in and barely made the tournament. Uh, lost, I think, in the first or second round to to Notre Dame. Uh, we got in through the first the first four uh, and, and then won that game and then lost to Notre Dame. That's what happened. So anyways, I, I finished up that year. 
And for some reason, I, I don't really know why, but I got my, my tires pumped a little, little too much. And that summer, I went out and took two weeks off uh, from being in, in school, you know, because you have summer school in college. And I went out to L.A. and trained out there. And a couple of friends of mine were going through the, tr- the pre-draft process. They were older than me because I was at that point, I think a 22 year old sophomore, <laughs> um, 21 year old sophomore, whatever I was. And I started to kind of like this life of, yeah, you know, I'm out in LA, I'm, I'm working out every day. Basketball is now my job. Like, and I started to kind of think like, yeah, you know what, this is, this is where it's at. And I started to build this narrative in my head that I was going to go back as a junior. I was going to have a really good year and I was going to graduate at that point anyways, because I would have had enough credits and then I was going to, I was going to leave and forgo my last year of college eligibility. Now in hindsight, if you were to look back at my (laughs) career statistically, you would think that I was absolutely crazy for thinking that. Um, but at that point I was six, eight, I just shot 45% from three. I just averaged 11 points a game. I was like, look, if I shoot it again, shoot it well again, another year, you know, I bumped that up to 14, 15 a game. I didn't think I was going to be some first round pick, but I thought that maybe a team would take a chance on a six, eight kid who could shoot. So of course I go back for summer school and mind you, I, I was, I was still locked in and, and working hard, uh, for sure. But I started to get into this trouble zone of forecasting of this is how this is going to play out and this is how many points I'm going to average and you know this is now I need to take this amount of shots and all these things I started basically worrying about the wrong shit yeah uh and as a result the way the basketball gods tend to do I was quickly humbled um I remember the third game of, of the year, uh, we were going to play in the 2K Classic in Madison Square Garden. I'm an East Coast guy, Northeast. I have like 15 people drive down from New Hampshire, Boston to come to the game. I'd started the first three games. Hadn't really played well, but I find out the night before we go to New York that I'm losing my my starting spot. And, you know, at the time, you're a dramatic college kid. It's like I'm getting benched. So there I am. We play Marquette the next day. I got like 20 people in the stands. I play like seven minutes. uh, And I was just embarrassed, like just deeply embarrassed. And I quickly realized, and and we won. So it's like that terrible feeling um, of like you're happy and you want to be a great teammate. And I was a great teammate outwardly, but you still have that feeling inside where it's like, wow, this this is shitty. Um, And that, that was obviously hard. I was very fortunate to have people in my corner that helped give me the perspective of it's important how you handle this. It'll build credibility as a leader, you know, do the right things, continue to sacrifice, be a good teammate and everything will come around. Um, And I did that for the rest of the year. I came off the bench the rest of the year, but I think what I really learned in that, that instance was don't forecast your success. Don't try to develop a plan uh, I think it's good to have goalposts of where you want to go, but just focus on the work, focus on being present where you are, uh, be where your feet are and just put in the work and, and everything will fall into place the way it's supposed to. I think that's so interesting from, uh, you know, from late nights at the bungalow in LA thinking you're going to get, you know, your league back. I, mean, I wasn't going to the, I wasn't going to the bungalow. I wasn't living that type of league life. I was like sleeping on somebody's couch, but it was it working out, you know, three times a day, but it was still like, I want this light. Like, this is what I want. And I, once again, I was just worried about the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with late nights at the bungalow. Shout out to the bungalow. But it is, it's so interesting that then you, you know, you have this moment and it's, it's, I think it's fascinating to hear you say that because it seems from the outside impossible not to get caught up in the numbers and forecasting and everything that's swirling on around you, especially now where it's on an even elevated stage. Like I can imagine it's hard at Michigan, yeah. but now it's a whole different platform where numbers matter and things matter and you're approaching free agency. It's like, it's impossible. I think it seems impossible to block all of that out completely, but did going through that 
help you for something because it, it yeah. you're now in a similar situation it seems where it's like how do you not forecast to free upcoming free agency right. and we have some questions about that too uh but just how you deal with that mentally well your your previous experiences um you know if, if you don't learn from them then you're a fool um so i i think it listen i i that's one thing that i i don't have a shortage of of moments of being humbled in my basketball career, uh, thinking that I, I got it figured out and quickly realizing that I don't. So at this point, if I weren't able to like apply that to my situation now, then I would just be doing myself a serious disservice. Uh, I mean, yeah, of course, anyone that says that they're able to block it out entirely is just lying. Um, of course, it's all it, it's everywhere. So even if you know you turn off your phone or you delete social media, which I do, it's unrealistic to say that it's gone. Right. Uh, and and because you know it's it's happening and you know it exists. I think the important thing is to just keep the main thing, the main thing, and 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 maintain what's important. And like I said, just have a trust in your habits and your work that things will fall into place the way they're supposed to. Yeah, that makes sense. I I you know it it takes me to one of the questions we have in here um about you looking at reddit and they asked do you ever look at reddit uh do players ever look at reddit but specifically somebody asked i want to find the username so i can shout them out heat champs 2018 on reddit asks did you ever happen to look at reddit during your rookie year i feel bad if you did no uh the the answer is no and and i actually it's funny because i know we have a reddit question of the day that really is your your world yeah it is Particularly with stuff that pertains to me, like I, I, I just try to stay away from it in general. Um, I'll, I'll use Reddit as a resource for news and just because I, you know, I'm not on Twitter, um, so it can be helpful in that sense. But uh, I, I really do try to stay away from NBA Reddit, Heat Reddit, whatever, um, just because I'm a firm believer in whether they're singing your praises or saying you're terrible. Either way, it's pretty much toxic. Um, and not to say that the people that are doing it are toxic, but more so, you know, whether you think, you know, you're, you're hearing all the great things and they're pumping your tires and you think you can do no wrong. That's just as dangerous as, or and as detrimental as somebody saying that you're, you know, the worst player and, and you can't make a shot. So, and I'm sure that that's the other thing in general, it's so volatile. Like it just changes so quickly. So for for my own you know sanctity, I I just try to focus on on the people that are in my corner that believe in me, and we'll just kind of move forward from there. Yeah, no, and it's I mean again you have to, and it's yeah. smart to. As someone who spends a lot of time on Reddit, like you said, Reddit the Reddit question right. today is kind of my thing, and a lot of time on Twitter, it is insane how quickly things sway. Oh my right, God. like you said, whether they're singing, whether you have a night where you go seven for 10 yeah. and they're saying that, you know, let's give this guy the max or you go one for 10 and it's like immediately cut this guy, yeah. right? Like it's just, there are so many polar opposite ends. And it's funny. I thought this question was hilarious because your rookie year, uh, you know, shout out to heat Reddit, but they were brutal to you. It was like, why is this guy playing? Who is this kid? What I, wouldn't, is I wouldn't know that they were, but I'm sure that they were. And it, it's just, and it's so funny to look back on it, on it now. Yeah. It's like, it is, it's, it, 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 it can be toxic. So I understand. Yeah. And it's probably smart that you, that you stay away from it. I'll leave that to, uh, to you. Yeah. Um, okay. Gabe Maya asks, do you have a welcome to the league moment? Is there anything that comes to mind? I don't know if I've heard you talk about anything. I would maybe say my uh, my first year I was on the two way. I was actually in, in heat training camp, so my first training camp, and we're lining up for a free throw to block out, and I'm one of the lower guys, so obviously you know I I got to block somebody out, and I'm lined up with I can't remember who it was, but it was a big, uh, maybe like either Hassan or Bam or or whatever, and. Somebody was on the opposite block. I think it was Kelly and was like, yeah, let, let's switch. Like, let me block him out. And it was Udonis who was on who was on <laughs> Kelly's block. So I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's switch. So then I go to block out Udonis. And Udonis looks at me, excuse my language, <laughs> fucked up. He's like, and he turns to me and says, he goes, you think this is going to be easier? He goes, young fella, you got it all wrong. He goes, I'm a, he goes, I'm a fucking beast. <laughs> and of course, I go to try to block about ragdoll. Just throws <laughs> me out of the way. 
goes and gets the rebound, kicks it out, somebody makes a three. And I was just like, yeah, I should probably go hit the weight room. <laughs> should probably go get a lift in. It, it, that sounds like a pretty obvious, like, let's test the young guy moment. Yeah, it was It was just, it was funny because it's like, obviously Udonis is, is smaller in stature than like a Bam or, or a Hassan, but he, I mean, he's an all-time leading rebounder in Miami history. I mean, he's a savage, uh, particularly when it comes to rebounding. So, you know, here I was, you know, him and I are like almost the same height, but he's just, he's a, he's a different type of dog. A grown man strength, I think. Grown man strength for sure. So that was, that's an interesting one because it's like, that was before I even played a game. That was like, and I'm happy I got it when I did because it quickly reminded me like, all right, I, I got to tap into something a little bit different if I'm going to survive here. Have you been on the bottom block of a free throw since, or do you just, you stay away now? No, I mean, occasionally I, I will have to, um, but yeah, I just try to do my work early and clear my guy out and let someone else get the rebound. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, all right, let's go to uh, JMBorn45 asked, there's a thin line in sports of overthinking and forcing things versus playing too free and not concentrating. Do you try to think when you're out on the court or do you try to play free and trust yourself and your instincts? I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, he kind of said it in that it really is a thin line. And, and so much of, you know, I, I think particularly as you move forward and, and the skill discrepancy tightens and narrows. I mean, there, there are so many talented players, particularly in the NBA, so many talented players. The guys that are not playing and checking into games are capable of being really good NBA players. It's just so much of the separator situation, but then also mentally between the ears. Um, so I think that you have to tap into that and, and for myself specifically recognize that as a potential strength and separator. With that being said, I'm a classic overthinker, like to a T. So for me, it becomes a lot about walking that line of trusting that I'm capable, that I'm good enough, and that I'm prepared for moments. And then also like using that competitive edge. So I think that you know, I will say this, a lot of like, once you get into the game, you have to trust that instincts, your work, the time that you put into your craft are going to ultimately take over. But I think that where you lean into the mental side of it is kind of like the long game, if you will, um, like having the resolve to understand that the day in day out might fluctuate and might be a little bit crazy and might not go how you want it to go. But having that like the deep rooted trust that in time, if you handle your business, put in the work, things will play out for you favorably. Do you think back to, or like when you think back to that two-way moment with Udonis or like your early moments in the league, is it a totally different level of comfort and trusting your instincts now? I assume, because early on, it's probably so easy to overthink things. Oh yeah, I mean, especially as as an undrafted guy who averaged eight points a game as a senior in college, there are a lot of moments of it's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm probably not good enough to be here. Um, you know, I think it, there's a ton of credit should be directed towards the Miami Heat and that they've like instilled a ton of confidence in me. I think that like anything, when you experience success, confidence starts to build and grow and compound. For me, it's it comes really from the two places of, of one, knowing that I'm prepared in that despite whatever my college resume or the fact that I was drafted, like I put in the work, like I'm capable in that at the very least I'm deserving of these opportunities. I think that helps you sleep at night uh, or helps you at least have some like peace of mind when you go into these types of opportunities. And then the other one being exactly what I just mentioned is once you start to see the ball go through the net and seeing the work come to fruition, then you kind of get that compounding effect of, all right, I'm starting to figure some things out. And then from there, it just slowly picks up and and gains steam. All right, let's go, 2210. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Asks, how do you balance your celebrity status? Because you know, you're big time now with want for a normal life when you just relax around Miami. So, you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, you you walk out of your apartment and people are saying, hey, it's the guy with the podcast. Uh, celebrity status is a severe stretch. I'm, I'm 
in terms of the normal life comment, I very much live a, a normal life. Um, <laughs> nothing like particularly gl- glamorous about what I'm doing on my day to day, except for playing basketball at seven thirty um, or eight. Lately, we've been playing a lot of eight PM games. But uh, you know, I, if if anyone ever comes up to me, I'm, I'm always happy to take a picture, or converse, or chop it up, or you know, whatever, talk heat basketball, whatever. Um, truthfully, it it really doesn't happen all that much. Uh, I think a large part of it is that I'm relatively unassuming. I think I teetered that line between like being abnormally tall. Like if you're 6'10", 6'11", and walk into a room, it's egregiously obvious that you must play basketball. I think I I get mistaken for like, oh, you're so tall. Like, are you like 6'4"? I get that all the time. Are you like 6'4", 6'3"? I'm like, yeah, yeah, kind of, somewhere around there. Um, so... You know, the general comments of like, oh, you're tall. Do you play basketball? I just say, yeah, sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes I play basketball. It it happened. So I was here last year uh, for the Super Bowl, which we've we've talked about. Yes. Well and documented it, on this podcast. And it happens, you know, occasionally. It's a lot different now. It's ramped up now. And I think that's in large part because of the think, success that the Heat have had. I, was say, I think a finals run will do that. A too. finals run will do that. It happens a lot now. But... <clears throat> It's nowhere near some other guys. Like it's nowhere near Tyler. Oh yeah, that, I'm not even in the same conversation. Like Tyler was shopping, and they had yeah. to shut down. Yeah, I mean that's that's just there's there's levels to right. this. Right. I don't remember exactly uh, what rapper said that, but there are certainly <laughs> levels, and I'm on a totally different level, uh, which I will say, I enjoy. Right. Uh, it's I. It's nice to just kind of be uh, anonymous. We uh, the other day we were driving around. And there were some kids out in the driveway playing yeah. basketball, and we thought, "Oh, well, this, well, let me let me let me just take this." We were we were driving around Miami. Uh, we were picking up some food, and I see these two kids. Wait, why can't I tell the story? Well, just because I, I just want to set the set the stage. I'm going to give my version of it, but go on. We see these two kids playing basketball, and I just had them. I was like, "Dude, wouldn't it be funny if I just like pulled up and just like." Asked for a jumper. I was in the passenger seat. I was like, I like shot a quick jump shot, like said what's up, hopped back in the car and left. Remember when the dunk challenge thing was a thing? That's where right. it was like driving by and you'd run out and dunk in somebody's driveway and yes. then get back in the car. That's kind of the vision we had. Right. But with a jump shot. Yes. And I thought it would be this like cool moment for these kids. And you know, you're you're hyping me up. You're oh like, yeah. Oh, you're like, like, oh yeah, it's gonna make sick. this kids weak. This is gonna be awesome. I get out of my car. I asked for the ball. The kid is like startled and confused and is like just kind of like weirded out. Like who's this random guy getting out of a car asking me for the ball that I'm playing with? He like reluctantly throws me the ball. I shoot. I miss. I think you might have airballed. I might have, I might have airballed. I don't know. It wasn't regulation. Uh, I miss. There's like this uncomfortable moment, like in you know, in your head, it's like you get out, you like swish it, and it's like, yo, oh my gosh, is that Duncan? Uh, kid doesn't even recognize me, doesn't even care at all. There's this awkward moment where I'm just standing. I kind of look back to you of like, dude, what do I do? I just get in the car and we drive off. <laughs> it's just a, some strange man asks for a jumper, misses it, and just leaves. Kid has no idea. They had absolutely Clueless. no idea. So yeah, maybe we were maybe we have an overinflated view of your yes. celebrity status in Miami. It must have been the mask. I think I was wearing a mask. A kid didn't recognize the mask. Whatever it was. Yeah, buddy, I'm sure it was uh, the mask. <laughs> I will say it's it's somewhat scarred me. I certainly won't be pulling up to any courts and taking any jump shots anymore because that was a, a shot to the ego. <laughs> oh, that's an all-timer. Um, all right, Duncan. How about this? Duncan Robinson's burner on Twitter. Love that. You've got a burner. Yeah, I guess so. That you have no affiliation with, for yeah, the record. Yes. Uh, but Duncan Robinson's burner asks, what did you do during All-Star break? That's a uh, particularly relevant question. I like yeah. that one. Kept it low key, basically. Um, Davis obviously was was in town, so we. Uh, I think you referenced this earlier. We shot up. I have some family that lives up in the the West Palm Beach area, so we went up there uh, just to kind of get a little peace and quiet, which was nice outside of the city. Played a little golf, a couple rounds of golf. Um, worked out, ate some good food, uh, got in the gym. And just spent spent some good time with some some friends. So uh, that was pretty much the extent of it. But 
it was a, a restful break for sure. Nice to just get a couple days uh, where you know we we're, we're not traveling or worried about games, but um, get my body right for the second half. And yeah, I'm excited to get back to it. That, that's one thing I noticed is uh, you know you want the break to come, and then about halfway through the break, uh, or at least a couple of days into the break, I was like this is good. I'm like itching to get back to playing. So yeah, it felt like a necessary break. We were just talking this morning. You guys play, I think 12 games in 20 days. Yeah. It ramps up here very quickly. So it's wild. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it's what 32, 36 more games, 36. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's in like two months. It's a going to fly by. Um, but yeah, it's been great. This last week's been great for me. I've just got to benefit kind of off of your vacation, which is, hey, you know, man, we're all on vacation. What more can you ask for? Um, all right, I wanted to lastly get to, we had a few questions about this, and we've actually had a few like comments about this too. Mm. When, when were we going to address it? Uh, but Top Shot, NBA Top Shot. It's I'm the sh- elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. I'm sure they say, I'm sure you guys have done your research, um, or maybe you've already been asked this question, but if not, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm active in the community, first and foremost. In that you are... You I have I have an account and yeah. I have some moments to my name. I believe nine moments, all of which are my teammates, and I think I have one of myself. But uh, I mean, I, th- I think it's super interesting. First and foremost, it's it's crazy to see it just take everything by storm: the NBA community, basketball community, social media, um, and just the craze. I mean, I've had friends who have no interest in basketball that are ju- that have reached out to me um, about it. So. I'm I'm a part of the the community. I think that it's it's really cool how the player association um, is kind of uh, involved and how it's all you know officially licensed uh, through the league. So it's it's certainly obviously gaining a ton of traction, and it seems like there's a ton of potential there too, and that it's only going to continue to go up from here. I've got a couple gripes. One, mm. uh, they still haven't used my highlight tape to make me any moments. Well, it's because it's not licensed content. I mean, by the NBA, I think we can work around the red tape. Probably, there. probably. Secondly, I admittedly, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it. I also have an account, and I'm interested in getting involved. But I just, I say that I don't get it, and that I need to do a lot more understanding of the platform before I dive in. That first. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. I've I've heard a lot of people i've heard a lot of negative feedback i should say saying oh you know it's what's the difference between watching this on youtube or there's no way this is worth all this and you know something is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it that's true um you know there's there's a saying in the association that there's no such thing as an overpaid player and that's <laughs> in that if somebody was willing to pay them then that's what they're you know, that's what they're worth. That's fair. And um, I, but I, I think that applies to this too, in that, you know, especially people are, are buying all of these moments. What's really driving it is that there's an expectation that they're going to continue to increase in value Yeah. in that people are thinking, look, this might be, you know, I might be spending $2,000 uh, on a Duncan Robinson three, and I might not even know who Duncan Robinson is. Right. But there's an expectation that at some point that three is going to be worth even more and that they can personally and financially benefit from that. Um, not to get into like an economics lesson here, but so, just because I'm not even close to qualified to begin to do that. but And neither am I, but who, you know, who is? I, I just, the, the fear that it also goes to zero is what is holding me back. But here's, I guess you're right. Clearly thousands upon thousands of people are willing to take. You're right. And I suppose it's no different than art, right? Like the poster behind us, the poster behind us only has the value that, you know, someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting kind of like social narrative around hype, yeah. In that, particularly in today, eyeballs and gaining eyeballs and traction and uh, visibility has immense value. And I think that we've seen it in a variety of ways. Um, there's actually a company that I'm really fascinated by called Mischief that does something really similar. So shout out to Mischief. Um, but they basically do the same thing. They They capitalize on hype. And they've... 
They have like drops every two weeks, the same way people wait in line to get sneakers or get merchandise in the same way people are waiting in line to get top shot. People wait in line for mischief to get their drops. And, uh, really nothing has like inherent value until people give it value. That's fair. And and it is, that's what it becomes so difficult to get your hands on one of these. Yeah. Which is, you know, obviously what's driving the value. I, there have been times where I've tried to get in line for a pack. Yeah. Right. And it's like you sign in a minute late and you're a hundred thousand and you know, behind you or in front of you. Yeah. It's all, it's all very abstract for sure. But that's not to say that, you know, once again, there's not serious opportunity there because I think that a lot of people would argue that there's a ton of financial opportunity. And then also I think the, the interesting thing is the, the kind of like sentimental value of some of these things and um, you know, owning your favorite players moment. Like that's a cool experience for a fan. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out, but I'm, I'm interested in it. I, like I said, I'm active in the community. Um, I'm certainly not going to sell any of my cards. I'm going to hold <laughs> on to them. You know, they, they mean something to me. You're right. And I, I, you know, look, I, again, I don't really get it, but I am interested in it and I understand the the value in it. All right. Last question I got for you from buffet buffet food they ask if you didn't make it to the league what do you think you'd be doing right now that's a great question um let's like not no basketball no basketball no basketball that's an important you're not playing in uh, slovenia either um yeah that's an important distinction if i wasn't playing the nba i'd be playing somewhere else for sure but if i wasn't playing basketball at all i think that so I was a I was actually a double major at the University of Michigan. Hey now, um, gotta get that. Yeah, uh, I was political science and sport management. So I I, I have I'm, I'm interested in politics. Um, I would not want to be a politician. I think that some sort of like bipartisan uh, social justice kind of framed initiative to uh, uh, whether it be about uh, voting, getting people voting, or just like uh, issues that I'm particularly passionate about, um, you know, mass incarceration is for sure one. Um, you know, affordable housing is is another one that I think is particularly prevalent. And so I think maybe something in that space, or if not, it would probably, if it weren't that, it would probably be something in basketball as well. Maybe maybe coaching. Um, or maybe something on the like front office side, if I could kind of finagle my way into doing something of that sort. So I don't, I don't really have a great answer for you, but uh, yeah, I think those are all great answers. Thank you. You'd be running a nonprofit, yeah, uh, or you'd be working at like the Equal Justice Initiative, yeah, and you'd be coaching basketball on the side. Yeah, honestly, I, I should, I should put some specificity. Uh, Cut fifty with Van Jones would be a really cool opportunity and the EJI with Brian Stevenson, both of which I think Love would it. be uh, really, really great stuff. So specificity is important. It's so key. I, I apologize for my, my always key. All right. I, that's all I got for you. That's we're, we're wrapping it up the mailbag. Yeah, I think so. I feel, I feel wrong that the, the questions only went one way. I got a question. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot one back oh, at you God. to finish up. All right, good. If you were to have one actor play you in a movie, who would it be? Great question. That's uh, from uh, Duncan Robinson's Not Burner. Whoa. Um, Justin Timberlake, obviously. I don't really think that counts. Of course it does. He was no. just in a movie. I don't. I, I want a different one. Justin Timberlake is the answer. But if you're making me go with another one, uh, I'm going to go the late, great Heath Ledger. Wow. I used to get comparisons to Heath Ledger from my family uh, when I was a kid. From a look standpoint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid. Dear. Yeah, like baby face. Similar it's, features. You, you lack the hair, though. He had, he had the... True. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, anyways, we'll let, we'll let you guys decide. He's great. Very talented. Incredibly gifted, talented actor. If there's actor. any validity to that claim, I don't seem to think that there is, but... Justin Timberlake one, Heath Ledger two. Good answer. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up. That's the mailbag. Uh, let us know what you guys think. I actually had fun doing this. Yeah. A little peek behind the curtain. Uh, we're going to get back to our guests next week. But maybe if, if this is a particular fan favorite, maybe we can continue to uh, to make this a part of the, the routine. Yeah, I had a blast. Hey, thank you for all of your answers. Thanks for sharing wisdom and knowledge with the people. 
anytime. Uh, that's what the long shot's all about. So thank you for joining us. And of course, as always, tune in next week on the long shot. Peace out. Thank you.